Welcome to Strengthen, a podcast dedicated to inspiring you to become your strongest self. I am your host, Gabby Barreto, a registered dietitian and personal trainer with the mission of empowering you to become the best version of yourself yet. So let's get stronger together. Welcome back to Strengthen. In this week's episode, I have a good friend and colleague and fellow RD of mine, Brittany Modell, who will be discussing her experience with childhood dieting. And it's so interesting because really, when I look at statistics of childhood dieting, to me, it's crazy that seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds are concerned about their body weight and I have teen clients who are concerned about their body weight and their friends are counting calories. And when I think back to when I was 12, 11, 12, 13, I was like worried about scraping my knees on the soccer field and like my hair was in a low bun and I really didn't think much about that. I didn't really get impacted by diet culture until I was a little older. Um, even though myself, I did face being teased and I talk about that in this episode as a kid and I talk about it very often for my weight, but it didn't stop me um, from eating and doing and enjoying food, but more so when I got older, I felt affected. And so in this week's episode with Brittany, we discuss intuitive eating and health at every size. Haze, you may have heard of, which really is a paradigm that looks at health not in terms of your body size, and me and Brittany go into more detail on that. But before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to talk about courage. Now, last week, if you didn't listen, go back, I did talk about fear and, you know, change. And I think that that when we're really fighting um, our own biases and our own judgment of ourselves and our body, and, and in that diet mentality, that we look at practicing intuitive eating or practicing, um, you know, an anti-diet lifestyle as something that's really challenging. Like, how could I? We're so ingrained, and Brittany says it best in this episode, that, you know, diets are so ingrained in our culture that, of course, you want to be on a diet. And I would be lying if I said that a lot of these things don't affect me today or don't pass through my mind when I would see something. Um, She gives really good advice on how to um, get rid of that. And one of them is kind of deleting things off Instagram. I won't give up any more tips from today's episode, but I'm just talking about courage to change. And I speak a lot this about this a lot with my clients that, you know, we have the option to change and we have the option to stay the same. And when I spoke about this in my acceptance episode, we know that if we continue to stay the same, change only gets harder. So there's no better time to change than today. But for many of us, some of us need to hit a point of frustration. We need to hit a point of really feeling like a complete failure or really feeling in enough pain to change and and to quit dieting. And that was definitely my experience that I needed to hit a wall where it was too much mental anguish to continue to keep up the jig of, you know, constantly trying to restrict or 
change the way I eat so I can achieve a certain body shape or size that may or may not ever happen. And it took a lot of courage to let that go and enjoy the birthday cake, enjoy the bagels, enjoy the pizza. Even through that, still experiencing that fear that, oh my gosh, my body might change. But when looking at this new paradigm of, and, and, and working through health at every size, which again, you'll learn more about in a little bit, where the focus on really is on health in terms of our diet versus weight loss or body changing, that there truly is a freedom of time and space in your life when your body and your body shape and size and the food that you put in your body is not dictating who and what you are and what you do and where you go and what you wear. There really is this freedom that does happen. So what if you took the time to truly change and stop living in that same cycle over and over and over again? Most of the time, by the time people come to me, I'm not their first rodeo. Sometimes I am their first rodeo, but most of the time I'm not. And I hope to be their last. It's daunting and it's hard because quitting dieting is the complete opposite of what we've been told our whole life. Our whole lives we've been told that we need to be on a diet, whether we really believe it or not. Um, society tells us our entire lives that we need to be on a diet. We need to constantly be trim and slim and losing. It's really everywhere. Weight loss is everywhere. It's To me, it's like, quite frankly, at this point, obnoxious. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing it. But change is uncomfortable but we know that change leads to growth, to better health, and to overall lifestyle. So always tell my clients this. We have two sides. We have remain the same, which can be comfortable, but there's no change, there's no growth, and you really stay the same. You stay the same or you get worse, right? And then we have the change side, which is hard, it's uncomfortable. Now remember, staying the same is easy. Like it really is easier to go in on another diet in, in some respects, right? To, to a certain extent. It's not easier on your mental health, but it's easier. It goes with the flow. It's more, you know, culturally accepted to be on a diet versus to live in this other, other end of not being on a diet and being anti-diet. It's much easier to go with the flow, right? But if we look at that change side and, and that courage to change, that there's, it's hard, it's uncomfortable, it is challenging, it takes time, but you see growth, you see progress. And those are things that on a journey of becoming you know, anti-diet and becoming diet-free, that is a, a lifetime of, of freedom that you really can experience if you give yourself the honest shot. And I'll be honest, from my own experience, it hasn't been a walk in the park, it hasn't been a you know, six month thing and I'm, and I'm all cured. This is something because it is, it is like when an, it's like being an alcoholic in, in, in society, like alcohol is out there, right? Like alcohol is socially accepted. Um, dieting is socially accepted. It's actually like the norm. It's actually what most people think is like normal to do and like, oh, she's on a diet. And so when we're in this culture that is really, really, really deeply ingrained in all of that, being the opposite of it is, is challenging to be in. But if you, on that journey, take the roadblocks, which are 
diets and dieting and diet culture and words and you take those roadblocks and you really work through them, right? So we climb over the mountain, we go through the forest, that living this life diet free is a much more comfortable, healthy space to be in. So we go from staying the same, being comfortable to this new lifestyle, being comfortable. And I hope you all can gain something out of this conversation where we really talk how intuitive eating and how the health at every size paradigm can truly change your life. Really, I'm just here to help change people's lives and I hope that you get something out of this. So please enjoy my episode with Brittany. She is a like a huge knowledge bomb and her experience is so inspiring to everyone. And this is especially great for moms of daughters of sons to listen to because her experience is quite unique in that when she was a child, she was put on a diet and um, had to fight that for most of her childhood. And today in her adulthood, she gets to experience life diet free and finally have that freedom and acceptance to be herself, which I find that when we are in that diet, especially for myself and, you know, I see it in my clients when we're in that diet, we're, we're not free to be ourselves. You know, when we're, when we're dieting and we're in that diet culture, we're fighting to be like what the quote unquote societal norm is. And so she's such a beautiful person. She's got such a powerful message and I hope you guys enjoy. Hey everybody, I have one of my former classmates and friends here. Her name is Brittany Modell. She is a registered dietitian. I met her when we were in grad school at Teachers College, Columbia University, and we studied nutrition. I was in nutrition exercise physiology. What program were you in? I was in nutrition education. Nutrition education. So we were on two different tracks, but we took a lot of the same classes together. And then after school, I started following her on Instagram and just talking through social media. That's really how most people end up staying in touch nowadays. Absolutely. Um, but I really, yeah, I really love her message and her positive way of looking at food and dieting. Um, and her story is actually very interesting and um, a little similar to mine just in, in childhood. So I want to get talking about what you share on social media, right? And what your experience working, you talk about working with a nutritionist, right? So you're a dietitian now, but as a kid, you went to a nutritionist. That's right. Yes. And so first of all, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. I was so excited when you reached out and, you know, I appreciate what you say about my Instagram. Cause I would say like most registered dietitians, my messaging has definitely evolved as well as my philosophy yeah. on food. And so I, I came from this more like a weight centric approach, which, you know, I'll get into, into more of this intuitive eating, um, health at every size mm -hmm. approach. But yeah, so when I was younger, I, you know, visited several different nutritionists and dietitians. And one of my earliest experiences was with this weight loss guru on the Upper East Side. And this was back in like the nineties and early two thousands. So as you remember, everything was, you know, a mm -hmm. promotion of fake foods, low fat foods, diet foods. And even at that time, I was only 12 years old, and this was right before my bat mitzvah, and he would make recordings telling me to eat healthy, don't eat the bread basket, I am the bread basket if I do eat the bread basket, and almost like the subliminal wow. messaging, and he would have me listen to it every single night before I went so to So he bed. would make, 
he would make a tape, like a tape or a CD for you to listen to. Yeah, it was a tape. Exactly. I've never heard of this before. This is why I love this stuff. We can learn more, but I've never heard of that before. It was a tape recording and I would listen to it every night. Again, this is, this was even before I think CDs or maybe, maybe it was around the time of CDs, but this was a tape recording. Wow. And how does that, how did that affect you? Like as a kid, like what did that, like thinking back and reflecting then? So, you know, I often look back at photos and try to think about when my weight started to change and what made it change. And when I look back at photos, I don't think there was a specific time where I'm like, this is when I started to gain weight. But I do notice that there was a correlation between when I started to diet and when I started Mm -hmm. to obsess with food that my weight started to creep up. And as my weight creeped up, I tried to control it more with dieting and it, you know, it became a little bit more out of hand. Right. I think it's really interesting what you just said. Like I was looking at pictures and I'm trying to correlate it with the pictures, but really I can correlate it when I first started dieting. And like, I have a very similar experience too, because as a kid, I, my parents, I didn't go to a nutritionist, but as a kid, like I was quote unquote overweight, whatever they decided I was overweight. Um, But looking at, like looking back, like I don't see my eating being so like out there. I don't see my eating being so out there. And I really correlated for me. I correlated it when like I first started to get like made fun. I was made fun of for it. Mm. And I was like, people were calling me names. That's where I correlated it with. And that's when I started to really just focus on whoa, whoa, I have to focus on what I'm eating. I have to change the way I'm Absolutely. eating. To, yeah. So we all, no, we and all it, have like different events. Yeah. And it's interesting. You know, I had this conversation with a client yesterday and I was asking her, do you remember, you know, the first time you acknowledge the fact that you want to choose weight or go on a diet? And also like, I want to point out for me, you know, I would go to my pediatrician and they would give me a pedometer and they wouldn't say lose weight, but it was the underlying messaging there. Like, why don't you move your body a little bit more? And even as like an 11 or 12 year old, like I was offended and I knew that was the reason they were giving me this pedometer. They didn't give one to my sister who, you know, was built in a much smaller body size. Right. That's so interesting. I think I've never seen that before, like a doctor, like for me personally, a doctor giving a pedometer, but like we were pushed into sports, like you have to play sports. I personally liked playing sports as a kid, but there right. are a lot of kids out there who like did not want to play sports and parents who would want them out there playing sports, maybe for other reasons. Right, no, ex- exactly. Right, and so where, where, did that go? Like after, you know, getting that pedometer, where did that take you? So I would say I struggled with my weight going on and off dieting, restricting, and then later binge eating throughout my entire childhood, adolescence. And then when I got to college, you know, what really sort of drove me into having weight loss is believe it or not, at age 19, I was diagnosed with an atrial septal defect and I required heart surgery. And I will, I will say like, I loved my cardiologist. He was a brilliant surgeon, but during one of my appointments, I will never forget this. He told me that I had to take better care of myself and it really struck me. And it honestly offended me and upset me because I was like, this, is this my fault? Like, 
is, is my mm-hmm. weight contributing to my poor health outcomes? And from that point, I'm like, well, now I need to make a change. I need to, you know, lose weight. And I did. And I met with a, um, she wasn't a dietitian. She was a doctor slash nutritionist. I ended up losing, you know, what turned into a, a re- what should have been like 10 pounds ended up being 40 pounds. I lost my period. Wow. You know, I became, I had a hypothyroid. My vitamins and minerals were so off the charts low and it became obsessive. And it was so obsessive to the point where I was really afraid to eat a sweet potato because I thought that it would make me gain weight. And so over time, you know, that did sort of get me into the nutrition world. But I, you know, I acknowledge the fact that getting my period at a young age is unhealthy and it was scary. So, you know, I I started to regain some of the weight back and I had like this whole long journey, which brought me to where I am today. But that's sort of what Mm -hmm. influenced my, you know, me getting into nutrition in the first place. Right. We, you know, there's studies that show that most of us have some sort of most of us, not all of us, but most of us have something that happened, right? Mm-hmm. Whether, and there's a lot of studies that show that diet, dietetic students have some form of, you know, either disordered eating or eating disorders Absolutely. or some sort of, you know, background of that. Most of us do. And it's, it's interesting. They, that, I don't know if you remember the Ansel Keys starvation studies, but I talk about this all the time because they're my favorite. Um, just to really show people how dieting affects you. But a lot of the people who ended up in that study ended up going mm-hmm. into careers revolving food, right? Oh, so I didn't know, we know that. that. Yeah. So we know that when we restrict food, we become obsessive. And like, we see that even in my studies, like you restrict food, they become obsessive. Um, so whether we're genetically predisposed to, you know, developing disordered eating habits and mm-hmm. thoughts and behaviors, or just the restriction of food, that's what diets do to us. I'm, I'm very interested in hearing more about why, when you went on that diet with that, with that doctor, you were set there to lose 10 pounds, because of course we think that losing 10 pounds is gonna be the ultimate reason why your cardio, cardiovascular health is gonna re- improve, but you ended right. up losing 40. Was that more so of what you were being prescribed or the way that you took the diet? I think it was more how I took the diet. I think once you start, right. and I will say the more compliments I received, the more it propelled yeah. me to continue to keep going. And so when people right. are like, oh my God, like you look amazing. I can't even recognize you. Like, where did your waist go? I, I felt so good about myself that I'm like, I want to continue these compliments. I want to keep going. Mm-hmm. And so I did. Right. And you know, I've noticed even with clients that I work with, it's once you even get to your goal weight, you want to keep going. And the, it, the weight right. is never, ever going to be low enough. And the crazy thing is when I look back at when I w- started working with a dietitian, you know, or was working with a dietitian in middle school and high school, I'm at the same weight now as I was then. So I was always at my set point and I was always right. trying to go below my set point when that is where my body just wanted to be all along. Right. And there's a good book. It's called Why Diets Don't Work. And um, I forgot the name of the author, but that's the name of the book. Um, and she talks about set point that your body and it's like hardwired in our brains that mm-hmm. your body wants to be at a certain weight. And if we go too far below it, your body's just going to be constantly finding ways to get back there. And a lot of that is 
based on the fact that like a lot of the, sorry, the symptoms that come is like, that's why people are obsessed with food. That's why people feel hungry all the time. So if you're feeling hungry all the time, you're not eating enough to support that weight. It's such an interesting book. She really talks about like the, um, like the neuro, I can't think of the word, but basically like how the brain responds to it um, and how the brain really functions and all the hormonal patterns that really go into exactly. like why your, why your body wants to stay at a certain weight. And I, I want to say what, it's interesting what you said about the more compliments you get. And of course, like I can get compliments today and it sometimes does feel, it does feel good sometimes. And a lot of times I'm like, please don't compliment me because you don't know where I came from and you don't exactly. know where the compliments, you don't know where the compliments could take me. And for me, the compliments, you know, are, are going to happen for people out there. But for me, I know that I just need to protect myself and educate people that, that complimenting weight loss isn't something that we should be doing because we never know what the source of that weight loss is. And for you, it wasn't, it wasn't healthy. No, it wasn't. And, you know, that is why I, I don't know how many years ago, but I stopped complimenting weight loss because I, I knew, I know what the impact it had on me, how I wasn't right. healthy. And when I see people lose a lot of weight, it makes me honestly think like, how did you get there? Like, what did you have right. to do to get there? And, you know, again, like you were saying, we have no idea. I've had friends who were very sick with GI issues and that's why they lost a lot of weight or they're mourning the death right. of a loved one. And that's why they lost a lot of weight. So we right. never know. Yeah. There was a, I always tell this story. There was a woman um, and she had, she ended up having like pretty much a miscarriage and she had, she was very sick and she had lost a lot of weight. And when people saw her again, all they did was give her compliments. And she was just like in her, in herself, she was like, I'm getting Sorry. compliments for being sick and, and losing mm -hmm. a lot of weight. So we never know. And we never know, you know, who's doing it in, in, you know, who has an eating disorder, who's really sick. People who have cancer lose a lot of weight. Um, so we can't be going out there just throwing anytime someone loses weight. We are a very weight obsessed culture. We are. Um, yeah. Which you practice something called haze health at every size and intuitive eating so those are two things that you strongly align with and would you mind educating us a little bit about what haze is and what intuitive eating is and how you use uh, it in your practice absolutely so i want to first preface saying i didn't always you know lead with this framework i noticed working with clients time and time again that weight loss just didn't work it didn't create mm -hmm. a healthy relationship with food for my clients and it also you know they would come back to me after having gained some weight back and it, it destroyed their self-esteem so I, I also want to preface with i didn't understand health at every size and intuitive eating i didn't get it and i had so many misconceptions myself and i remember talking to other dietitians i'm like oh so they just think that we should prescribe donuts and cookies to all of our clients like i didn't get it so i want to start off with intuitive eating intuitive eating is self-care eating framework which really integrates you know instinct emotion and rational thought and you know weight Intuitive eating is a very weight-inclusive, evidence-based model versus a weight-centric model that most of us have been taught all these years. And so I don't know if you want me to go through the 10 principles, but there are 10 principles. I would love that. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So the 10 principles for intuitive eating, and I also want to preface that this 
framework and paradigm was created by two registered dietitians, which, you mm -hmm. know, makes me love it even more. So the first principle is rejecting this diet mentality. I think this is one of the hardest things for people to do because, you know, we right. are in such a strong diet culture that people, they don't want to stop dieting. And the truth is diets don't work. Research shows that diets don't work. And yet, you know, the diet industry makes us want to be in this diet centric culture. So that's right. the first principle. The second one is to really honor your hunger. And so this idea of not being able to eat after 7 p.m. because it's a diet rule. Well, if you're hungry, you need to eat. If, you know, mm -hmm. if we have to pee, do you say to yourself, you peed two hours ago, why do you have to you know, pee again? Pee again. I, I no. love that analogy so much. It makes so much sense. I love it too. Cause it makes so much sense. Like this, like any other, you know, body mechanism, like we should be eating. The third one is really making peace with food. So, you know, not labeling food as good or bad, um, mm -hmm. clean or not clean. The fourth one is challenging the food police, whether it's internal or external. You know, we face food police with our parents, with our friends, maybe significant others. And people don't even realize that they're doing it, but it's something that is difficult that we need to work through. The fifth principle is discovering the satisfaction factor. And this is really my favorite one to work on with clients yes. because it's like, do you, like even with the Gigi crackers, do you actually enjoy the Gigi crackers? Or right. do you think they taste like cardboard, but you think that they're healthy? You know, maybe have yeah. a slice of bread instead. And so figuring out what actually you. sounds good to you and what sounds satisfying. The sixth sure. principle, feeling your fullness. So really understanding this, you know, hunger fullness scale and eating until you feel good, but not overly stuffed. And again, when you're not restricting your food intake, you know that there's always going to be food tomorrow and the next day versus yeah. this like last supper mentality right before a diet where you're like, I have to eat everything because I'm not going to be allowed right. to eat the food I have again. to clear, I have to clear everything in the kitchen and then I'll start tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly. Um, principle number seven, you know, coping with your emotions with kindness. Oftentimes we really turn to food and, you know, something I meant to mention earlier is I struggle with generalized anxiety. So my entire mm -hmm. childhood, I would turn to food as a coping mechanism. And I didn't even know I had anxiety at the time, but I found myself constantly going to the fridge, going to, you know, the pantry, because I didn't know how to deal with those emotions. Right. Number eight, respecting your body. Again, you don't have to love your body and be obsessed with your body, but at least going into this body neutral state where you respect your body and you can appreciate your body for everything that it does. And then number nine, intuitive movement, which I think you talk about all the time, especially on your Instagram. Yes. And, you know, not, if you don't like to run, don't run, but don't run. That, <laughs> don't run, don't run, but find movement that makes your body feel good. And don't use exercise as punishment for what you ate the night before, but do it because it's great for your mental health. It's good for cardiovascular health. It helps you sleep, you know, exercise. And you're the best person to tell this to but you know, mm -hmm. exercise, just so many things for us, you know, both mentally and physically. So there's no reason to punish yourself with exercise. It takes the joy out of it. And then the last one is really honoring your health by using gentle nutrition. And so right. this is the idea of, you know, if I, I'll give you an example. I was craving, you know, a bagel, but I knew I had a really long day ahead of me. So I said to myself, okay, like, you know, I can have the bagel, but it might, you know, maybe bring my energy level down. 
Um, so maybe I'll have half of it and pair it with some protein. I'll have it with some eggs. It will hold me over a little bit longer, you know, getting the protein in there. So it's this idea of learning the nutrition that we, we learned in school to help manage our blood mm -hmm. sugars, to really keep the food sustaining and satisfying, but also listening to what you want and having trust in your body to make the decisions you want for your body without listening to the external noise. External. I love that. And I actually had an experience with a client and a bagel. Um, she's like, I haven't eaten a bagel in years. And I really wanted a bagel. And you were in my head telling me <laughs> to listen to what my body wants. And she had the bagel. She made it. I was so proud. She made a balance. She put tuna on the bagel with slices of tomato. Exactly. Enjoy the bagel and moved on with her day. I was like, how much more time would you have spent if yes. you just sat there to think about the bagel and over and over and over again, and then chose it's, a Gigi cracker. And then exactly. And so there was actually a post I, I put on social media like a while ago, but I said, I really wanted a chocolate chip cookie, but instead I had like three brown rice cakes, hummus, a piece of dark chocolate, an apple, grapes. And it's like, you ate everything. And then I ended up eating the cookie anyway. Cookie Had anyway. you just gone ahead and eat, had the cookie, you could have just eaten it. And like you said, move on with your day. Right. Right. So true. We waste so much time. I think so much Christy time. Harrison, you know, Chrissy Harrison. Yes, of course. Love her. I'm, I'm actually, in yes. the, I'm in the middle of her book. I haven't finished it yet, but I thought it was like, you know, yeah, it's good. It's very good. Um, is she talks about you wasting your time, your money and your energy. Like we look at as money being like this end all be all, but like, Think about how much time and energy and what else you could be doing with that time and your energy if you're not spent focusing on something that may or may, I would say like weight loss, it could be something that someone really wants and really values, but we know that it may or may not happen. And if we focus on improving that relationship with food, exactly. that you will, you will have better health. And we can't ignore the fact that mental health is a huge part of your overall health and having a strained yes. relationship with food is an impact on your mental health. You spoke about anxiety and it's so interesting because I had, a, I still have a lot of anxiety. And when I was a kid, I never recognized my anxiety. I never recognized what my anxiety was, but like my anxiety was like sneaking in and, and eating Oreos and sitting on the couch. Like that was a big part of my right. anxiety as well. So Yes. So and it's, it's, it's important to like even educate, you know, kids at a young age too, and help them understand. I think mental health is less taboo now than it was, you know, when we were younger, but yeah. it's even like going into therapy and, you know, if medication is something that's, you know, helps someone, but I, I truly think that there's so many other tools to deal with the anxiety that you won't even, you know, even think to turn to food anymore because right. you have all these other tools in your toolbox. And yeah, the other thing absolutely. I wanted to mention too is going back to the idea of like weight being this one outcome, but health at every size really looks beyond weight. And so, yeah. you know, with health at every size, you're removing weight from the equation. So rather than looking at just the weight, you're looking at the behaviors that mm -hmm. are sort of maybe causing, you know, health issues. And I also want to point out that health at every size is a social justice issue. And this is something that I only learned more recently. I didn't realize. And so if you go into a clothing store and they don't have your size or you go on a plane and you can't fit into the seat, 
you know, it's because society puts out this thin ideal and it doesn't welcome mm -hmm. all sizes. And the other thing that's, you know, most upsetting too is people who are in bigger bodies or larger bodies are afraid to go to the doctor because they know if they do have 100%. any health issues, they will be afraid that the doctor will automatically blame up, blame their weight. Well, lose weight and your blood pressure will go away. Lose weight and your cholesterol, you know, will go away. And it's just not mm -hmm. true. And you even had that experience as a kid. Yes, exactly. Right? And, and I was, I don't like to say normal size body, but I was in like a straight size body. I, I, you know, I wore clothing that you could find in a regular store and I still was even, you know, feeling a bit offended by what the doctor was right. saying, blaming, you For know, sure. my health issues on my weight. And so I think the biggest difference when you're looking at a health at every size approach versus like a weight centric approach is one is focusing on behaviors and one is focusing mm -hmm. on numbers. The weight centric is fully just focusing the number on the scale, the numbers, whereas health at every size is really looking at behaviors to make somebody healthier. Right. And that's what we learned. It's so interesting is when we were in school, we learned a lot about behavior change, but we never mm -hmm. learned anything about nothing. We, we had to go educate. We learned that like, there's a BMI. And if you're above this BMI, you're at a greater yep. risk for X, Y, Z. And it's very interesting in um, Christy Harrison's book, she talks, and this is research-based. This is not just propaganda, but you right. know, people at even people who are at BMIs, well, she talks about how BMI is, you know, how BMI was constructed and then how the they changed the BMI cutoff standards where then a lot of people were thrown into this overweight category. Um, but research found that those people that even just being a little overweight, you had better health outcomes and longevity than people who were considered underweight. So this idea that we need wow. to be really, really, really small, um, really, really small actually has worse health outcomes than being slightly quote above what would be considered overweight. And it's so interesting. I actually even see this with the older population. You know, my mm. grandma has like slightly more weight on her. She has a really robust appetite. She's 96 and she's thriving. It's amazing. When I worked, cause I worked in a nursing home during right. the pandemic and everything. In long-term care as a dietitian, your goal is to make sure people do not lose weight. Like that is yes. your job is weight and making sure people do not lose weight, monitoring their weight and keeping and, and struggling with people. The fact that your grandmother is 96 with an appetite is like any, any dietitian's dream in a nursing home. You're like, thank you. I don't need I mean, my grandmother... My grandmother was eating chickpeas off the plate as we're like walking back to like the table from the buffet. She That's was like great. literally just like picking the chickpeas off the plate. And I'm like, I need to be like so amazing. 96. Right. <laughs> and so we know that malnutrition has worse outcomes than people are who are of a healthy or even slightly over whatever we consider overweight. Right. And it's just very interesting when we're looking at clinical nutrition and then we look at the outside diet culture, like this doesn't make sense. Like we know no, we don't it doesn't want match to, up. we don't, it doesn't. And it's very interesting. I remember when I went into the hospital to do my dietetic internship and I was waiting to see all these quote unquote, morbidly obese people with all these terrible health outcomes. Um, but I was seeing a lot of what we would consider normal weight or even just slightly overweight people with a lot of adverse health outcomes. And so 
Right. I remember being like dumbfounded. And then at the same time, I was learning so much about haze and intuitive eating and this different approach that we never learn. And I was like, wow, like what is going on here? Right. So right. It, it was just so interesting that I was, I was waiting for every single person with diabetes to be, you know, a BMI of 35. Um, and you even may see this too in clinical nutrition, how we like the consults that you may have to see for someone being overweight and you're like, okay, well, what do you want me to do with this? They're fine, but I have to go see them. Right. Because of their weight. Right. And I think also, for example, if you are meeting a client who has diabetes, don't make it about their weight. Teach them proper right. blood sugar management, proper blood sugar control. Absolutely. But don't say you have to lose 15 pounds to manage your blood sugars. Like what does one thing have to do with another? Right, because they can starve themselves to lose 15 pounds and their blood sugars will not be managed. <laughs> no. So it's very definitely no. not. Right. And so with that, there's a lot of common misconceptions that people will, and people will even say to me, well, I can't do intuitive eating or haze doesn't make any sense because you need to like being overweight is unhealthy. It is unhealthy. Right. And there's a lot of misconceptions on there. What do you, you know, when you hear those things, what are some common misconceptions that you hear and you find? So, and by the way, again, I'm, I'm someone who even had these misconceptions. But one of the biggest right. ones is that, you know, intuitive eating and health at every size is just an excuse for people to eat everything and anything right. they want whenever they want. And it becomes almost anti-health. So if you follow intuitive eating or health at every size, you don't care about your health. Mm. And that's just, you know, of course, not true. Intuitive eating is not just about eating anything you want whenever you want. And, you know, health at every size is not saying that health at every size is healthy or, yes, it's not saying that, you know, anyone at any size can be healthy. It's just saying that people can be healthy at a variety of different body shapes and sizes. Like yes. there's not one size fits all, you know, that perfect BMI, that means you're healthy. You can be, you know, a normal weight, quote unquote, and still have chronic disease and illness and all these other health issues, you know, high trip. I remember at Columbia, I was interviewing a, a young girl, it was for like one of our motivational interviewing classes. And she yeah. was quote unquote, a very normal, you know, body shape and size, yet had high triglycerides, high cholesterol, high blood sugar. I also had no idea what I was doing at the time because we were still <laughs> in school and I was dumbfounded. I'm like, how does this thin girl have all of these health issues? Right. So like now I know, like, honestly, I, I hate to say this, but I feel like I have to say this, but I've done so much sort of inner work in the last few months and even in the last year that I myself think that I was fat phobic at one point. And sure. you know, even just looking at someone, if someone in a bigger body is eating chips and I'm like, why are they eating chips? And then I look at someone who's thin and they're eating chips. I'm like, oh, they're so lucky. They can eat chips and like nothing happens. And so I personally have done so much inner work, which I think is so important, especially as a professional. But I think it's the type of work that we all really need to be doing, whether you're, you know, a registered dietitian or not. Right. And you mentioned like, you know, having fat phobia and fat bias. And there's, um, I, I remember when I was in, in grad school, we took, I don't remember what class it was, but we took that Harvard University has these like, they're called implicit association tests. And they tell mm. you what your bias is. I don't know if you, you did take them, but they have tests on weight. They have tests on 
race. They have tests on a lot of different things. And I remember taking, I remember this, taking the one, we were only supposed to take one on race. And I took the one on like on weight and it came back that I was fat phobic. And I remember going to my friend because I was like, I really want to work in eating disorders, but I'm fat phobic. Like, what do I do? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified. And she goes, well, first of all, like, congratulations. You're, you are a girl raised in a middle-class America. You probably right, have been exposed right. to all these things. Like, don't judge yourself, but here is what you can do. And she sent me health at every size. And I remember the first time I ever saw it, I was like, what is this? Like, what are you showing me? What do you mean? But it really took me having those experiences, like you talked about with that girl and having those experience in clinical practice that health at every, like you really can experience health at every size and your size wow. does not determine your health. It also doesn't 100%. determine like your worth. So it's, of course. it's just so interesting to experience that and being able to sit here and educate people that like, these are the things that we've experienced as professional clinicians and as students um, and just as humans. And that we too have had biases and we've learned and we've educated ourselves to no longer have those biases and treat everyone as the person sitting in front of you and not their size, not their scale. And even not treat them what their labs say, right? So not treat them how, right. what their labs say. Like they're still a person and they need our help. And again, going back to this idea, if someone comes to you and they're quote unquote overweight, don't make their weight the main outcome. Like focus on behavioral changes just as you would any, you know, someone with any size. Um, really focusing on those behaviors because that is what leads to positive outcomes. It's not, right. you know, losing 15 pounds. If anything, we actually know that yo-yo dieting, you know, is really dangerous, especially for cardiovascular health. And so yes. dieting just does not work. Work. It has worse health outcomes to yo-yo diet as well. And I, I, I've heard the term before. It's not my own, so I don't coin it. But that weight is not a behavior. And mm -hmm. weight is not, it's not something, it's not a characteristic. It's not a personality trait. It's not a behavior. Like you don't weight. Like it's something, it's a number that tells you the mass of your body and doesn't reflect other things about you. And so I think that's a really interesting way, especially talking about behavior change is that that's what we need to look at. And that's what people need to really focus on versus, you know, even if you're listening to this and after this whole thing, you're, you say, I, people say it to me all the time, well, I still really want to lose weight. So I go, okay, that's okay that you still really want to lose weight. Let's focus on health supporting behaviors. Because putting that, you know, putting that focus on, it needs to be the number. I need to lose one pound per week. Like I say to people sometimes, I'm like, I don't know anyone that can guarantee you a weight loss of one pound or two pounds or five pounds per week. That's going to be sustainable for how long? Like we don't know that. We know that you could lose it, but we also know that you have an 80 to 95% chance of gaining that back. Right. And when my clients come to me and they're like, oh, I want to lose weight. I'm, I, you know, I say, please stop weighing yourself. Like, because mm -hmm. I have found when people weigh themselves, their self-esteem plummets, you know, they're like, well, I'm doing all this work. Why haven't I lost weight? And so I really focus on, you know, energy levels and how like 
how you're feeling, you know, after your meals and your hunger and fullness cues and all of that. Yeah. I never ever look at the weight aspect because it it just like why it, it doesn't do anything proactive for the client. And that's why, you know, over time I really have moved away from this like weight centric approach to more of an yeah. intuitive eating approach because I know, you know, it just doesn't work. And there's so many other ways to measure success or whatever you want to call it, success or progress. There's so many other ways. And I really think that, you know, just the word intuitive and intuitive eating, like becoming more connected to your body, being like, how cool is it to be able to like really like, oh, I really want a sandwich. Like I do want a sandwich. I'm going to have a sandwich after this, but like, I really want a sandwich. And then you just go eat a sandwich. Like your body tells you what it wants. And that it's really cool that we can get back there. We've been there before. Like we've been there before as kids, right? So we can get back there if we take the time. So I feel people really want like these immediate results, but something like intuitive eating is something that it's like a journey over time. Like I've been practicing this for probably over a year and a half now. Like I still have so much to grow. Yeah. So and so much to learn. And it's so much undoing and unlearning. And even in the way I counsel people, you know, we were taught in graduate school, portion size, portion control, you know, the perfect serving size. And it's even looking back at the initial sort of like intake forms that I give out to clients and educational handouts. I had to yeah. redo all of those you know? Right. We did. We, we had to change the way that we, we worked with people. Cause I always say at the end of the day, like I, I ask people a lot, like, okay, if you lost the weight, like in a fantasy world, like how will your life change? And some people can have some valid things. Like we talked about the airplane seats. We talked about, um, you know, going in like, well, I can finally fit in an airplane, but like talking about like inside stuff and, your life, like your family life. A lot of times people say to me, no, like not much will change. I'm like, okay, so where do you really want to be? Like, where do you really want to be? And when we dig deep and, and get away from that surface of I need to lose the weight, I need to lose the weight, deep down inside, most people will say to me, I just want to stop feeling like this. I just want to stop thinking like this. I want right. to stop obsessing over food. Yes. And the truth is, you know, even when you get down to that quote unquote, go weight, the obsession with food probably will only get worse and it right. certainly won't get, you know, any better. Right. For sure. So just a, the last question I kind of want to ask you and go through is um, we had started talking about your experience with dieting as a kid. Um, and we know, we know that, you know, the way that parents talk to kids or even not just parents, but doctors, teachers, any kind of role model in a child's life can really impact the way that they look at their bodies. We look at, you know, disordered eating, strained relationships with food, however you want to label it. Um, it does have a genetic component. It does have a mental health component, but it has a big environmental component as well um, that we definitely are addressing. Um, so what would you recommend to parents, teachers, role models, people who are in kids' lives, um, and how to address what they perceive as being a weight issue? So I want to preface with, you know, parents want the best for their kids, whether Absolutely. it means they want them to be healthy, you know, they don't want them to have any like health issues in the future. And even you know, on a, a smaller level, they don't want them to be bullied in school. And we know that mm. weight is one of those triggers for kids that they make fun of other children for their weight. 
But that being said, drawing attention to weight can actually be incredibly damaging for the child. So putting certain foods on a pedestal, you know, encouraging them to only vegetables and they can't have chips or cookies or, you know, some parents not even allowing those foods in the house. And then you see the kid go to a friend's house and they almost like eat the entire pantry because, you know, they they haven't had the ability to eat in their own home. One study um, that I was reading actually found that high levels of critical and restrictive eating messages from caregivers were associated with low intuitive eating scores, but also higher BMIs. So there is a very large body of research that shows when parents attempt to restrict their children's eating, it really backfires because it's disconnecting them, you know, from their natural hunger and satiety cues. And the truth is children are self-regulating. They know how much food that they need. And over time, that messaging gets so distorted because diet culture and, you know, the diet industry tells us, well, you can't be trusted with food. Like your body can't be trusted if you, you know eat whatever you want, like you're just going to put on all this weight. We, we think that, you know, parents, and I don't know if it's sometimes, is it the parent wanting to protect the child? Is it the parent wanting to protect them, you know, on how they, they talk to their children about food as a kid who was, you know, who was made fun of, who was teased. I could understand if my mom wanted me to lose weight so I could not experience that but really what I what what I need and what I got was just love and confirmation that I'm worthy regardless of whether or not my body is the size it is so what we hear from parents teachers doctors is really really important absolutely it really is and You know, and I, I posted something earlier on social media a few weeks ago too, that honestly was my most like well-liked post. And I think it really resonated with so many people was that when mothers, especially mothers talk badly about themselves in front of their children, that messaging comes through to the kids. So even if you never comment on your child's weight, but you're constantly commenting on your own weight or saying, I can't eat this, or, you know, I'm so mad at myself for having that children pick up on that messaging and it does really affect them. And, you know, children and adolescents at certain ages are really susceptible to disordered eating and eating disorder. So not only is it important to think about the messaging you're, you're saying directly to the children, but even the messaging that you're saying about yourself in front of your children. Absolutely. And the way that you talk about food, I have a client, I've had a client um, a teenage client that, you know, would say, well, I don't, I don't eat that because my mom won't eat that, or I can't touch that because my mom won't touch it. Um, and so, you know, because my mom says it's bad or my mom and my mom is thin and I want to be like my mom, which is very, it's, it's very impactful. You know, even if it's a young, even at at a young age, I think we need to stop thinking that little kids like don't pick up on things because they do. And once they start talking, you really realize that they do. Um, So the things that we say about ourselves, about our bodies, about the way that we eat really does, really does impact them. It absolutely does. With that, is there anything else that you want to add? Anything else that you want to contribute to this, to our conversation that you may have left out? 
I would just say, you know, if you are interested in learning more about intuitive eating and health at every size, there are so many resources that are really evidence-based that, you know, you should read intuitive eating, which is, I think they just came out with a fourth edition that I just purchased. I might butcher their name, but it's Evelyn Triboli and Elise Rice. Triboli and Elise Reich. So they are like the gurus. They're the ones who came up with this paradigm of intuitive eating. And then there are other books, you know, Health at Every Size um, by Linda Bacon. But there are just so many different books and resources. And my other advice to you is if you are currently following people on social media and Instagram that do not make you feel good, unfollow them. One of the things that helped me the most with my intuitive eating journey, I would say in the last few years is unfollowing those who don't bring joy into my life. And instead follow people people who make me feel good and don't make me feel judged. And so that's honestly one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give, especially since, you know, a lot of us are on social media all the time. (laughs) Yes. It's so important. Like, and I always tell people, follow the people that make you feel good. Even if I am not one of them, if I'm, yes. you know, if I am not, if you decide one day I, I am, you can follow me back. But I even, I say that even about myself, I think it's important that we maintain like a positive, so much negative out there in the world and in social media yes. that we maintain things that are, that are good for us. And about those books, I, the book by Christy Harrison is, is anti-diet. It is an intuitive eating book as well, but yes. she also gives a very, she gives a very good history of diets and of the BMI, where that came from. It's so fascinating. Um, it's such a brilliantly written book. And the, those are all, those other two books are also really good resources as well. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time. I know all of our time is very valuable. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on this podcast and giving your knowledge and giving your passion. I think it's really has shown shine through in your Instagram and in this podcast as well. So can you tell us where we can find you? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at bmohealthy. So that's B-M-O healthy. And it's funny that that sort of Instagram handle started from when I was just trying to get people to be healthy. And it's evolved over time because I'm thinking maybe it's time for me to change the handle name. But that is where you can find me on Instagram. And that's mostly where I am. And my website is www.brittanymodelrd at gmail.com. So we can find you there. Um, Follow her. She's got a lot of, I'm looking at your Instagram now. She's got a lot of fun. And you do have like a little TikTok on there. You danced with your sisters and your mom. I had, it was a reel. (laughs) That was my first little introduction. Right before this, we were talking about TikTok and how to use it but she's a wealth of knowledge and just positive, positive, healthy message about nutrition and intuitive eating and health at every size. So thank you so much again for joining us. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you found it useful and helpful. If you have any questions, please reach out to me on Instagram at Nutrition by Gabby or simply send me an email at Nutrition by Gabby, that is G-A-B-B-Y 
at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please go on to iTunes store and I would be so, so, so grateful if you can leave me a review of the podcast. Until next time, guys, stay strong.